Romans chapter number 11, now we have moved away from Israel's past, Romans 9. We've moved away from Israel's present condition that was talked about in Romans chapter number 10. And now Paul is going to address Romans chapter number 11, Israel's future. And he's serving as a defense attorney on behalf of his people. And in Romans chapter number 11, verse number 1, the Bible says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And he most surely states, as soon as he starts the chapter that's going to deal with their future, he most assuredly states that their past unbelief and their present unbelief and their scattering that's currently in place now, in no way suggests, because of their past and because of their present, in no way does that suggest that God is done with His people, the nation of Israel. The answer comes back quite clear, God forbid. God is not done with that nation. And Paul settles that 100% when that question comes up or the objection comes, is God done with Israel? Our answer should be the same as Paul's, which is the Holy Spirit's inspired word. God forbid. He's not. He's not done with Israel. Paul makes this personal. Romans, 11, uh, Romans 10 finished with, calling them a disobedient and gainsaying people. Romans 10 ends with the word people, and it starts with his people. In other words, it's a personal reference. Even though they're gainsaying, even though they're disobedient, he still calls them his people. He has not forgotten Israel. And Paul... You see the personal reference that he makes in verse number one? He says, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He makes it personal. Now, I'd like to make the first point this morning uh, from Acts chapter number nine, because Paul's conversion individually pictures his people his nation, Israel, it, he pictures his personal conversion, the nation's national conversion. And so get Acts chapter number 9. We'll park there for a little bit. Acts chapter number 9. Look verse right in the beginning of the chapter. Acts 9, verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of these this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, Praise the Lord. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He's persecuting God's people. 
And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against bricks. That light from heaven on Paul's way to Damascus, what was that light from heaven? And what does that have to do with the nation of Israel? Let's find out this morning. Look at verse number 27 in Acts chapter number 9. Acts uh, chapter 9, uh, verse number 27. And, um, uh, but Barnabas took him, that's, that's Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen who? The Lord. Where? In the way. On that way to Damascus. That light from heaven. And who did Paul, who was it? It was, it was the Lord that, that Paul came into contact with. He met the Lord, and he met the Lord in a very, very unique way. There was a light that came from heaven. Have you spoken to anybody about their testimony and they gave you this testimony? Did you ever ask somebody what their, we're Christians, right? Do you ask somebody what their testimony is? Did anybody tell you, hey, I was on my way to Cookville and all of a sudden there was a light that just came right down from heaven? Has, has anybody heard that? No. Because the light isn't going to come. Now, you might go to some charismatic outfit and you might get close to that. But Paul's conversion was very, very unique. We are not going out and saying, hey, I want you to look up to heaven and there's going to be a flash of lightning that's going to come down and you're going to be blinded. It's not going to happen. But Paul's conversion was very, very unique. And it pictures the future appearing of the Lord to the nation of Israel. Saul of Tarsus, his personal conversion, light from heaven, pictures the future conversion of that nation because they will look and it will be, a, it will be a, a light, the glory of God, a light from heaven. He was converted like no other Christian was converted. It pictures the future conversion of the nation where they will turn from unbelief. Get Revelation 1 and Isaiah 66, if you would. Revelation 1 and Isaiah 66. Keep your finger in Acts 9, though, for a second. Uh, keep, your, keep your spot in Acts 9. But we'll need Revelation 1 and Isaiah 66. We'll do Revelation chapter number 1 first. The future conversion, look at this, um, uh, of the nation. Um, it says in, in, in Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. That's Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is speaking of his second coming. And he's coming, it says he cometh with clouds. Matthew 24, 
or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4 rather, Christ isn't coming to the earth with clouds. We are going to meet him in the air. So let me just make that by way of distinction. The catching away of the church is not this in Revelation 1.7. The catching away of the church, we are going to be caught up into the clouds, into the air, and we're going to meet the Lord there. On His coming, he's, on His second coming, that cloud's coming down. <laughs> okay? And it says here in verse number 7, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced him that be his people and all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him even so amen there's not going to be any wailing when the church is caught up it's going to be the church is caught up and then life is going to go on as it was except then it isn't because it's going to be now a turning back and God dealing with the nation but at his coming but at his coming, there's a distinction there. There's a distinction. There's going to be some wailing. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Revelation 1-7, that's Christ's second coming. Uh, Isaiah 66, verse number 8. Who hath heard... Oh, uh, verse 7, I'm sorry. Isaiah 66, verse 7. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child... Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? The answer is yes. For as soon as Zion travaileth, she brought forth her children. That nation is going to be born at once, Isaiah 66, 8 looks to that future time. It's going to be in one day. A nation will be born at once. And Isaiah 9, when you look at verse number uh, 18, I want, to, I want to see this here. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah. <laughs> let, me, let me stop. Acts 9, I'm sorry. Acts 9. I'm fumbling my words. Acts 9. Look at verse 18. What is the purpose? Look at Saul. Acts 9, 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had seen scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Unbelief is going to fall from that nation's eyes. And they're finally going to look on him whom they have pierced. They're finally going to look and believe. And that's a coming day. So I tried to say all that to say that Saul in Acts 9, there's a picture there of his individual salvation that is very unique. Why? Because it pictures the purpose God has for the nation. In one day, immediately, it's going to be like it's out of nowhere. <laughs> Their blindness is removed. The scales fall off their eyes and it's going to be just as unexpected and miraculous as Saul of Tarsus. In Matthew 24, that's why it says, for as the lightning 
cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be the same light from heaven. Who's that light? The Lord. Saul individually, Acts 9, the nation, the, the Jews nationally, that is, uh, here in Romans chapter 11 and the verses that we looked at. We, right now, go to John, first chapter of John, if you would. John chapter 1. John chapter number 1. I mentioned this earlier, we are not going to see a light from heaven. We're not asking people to look up and see a light from heaven. Uh, John chapter number 1, look at verse uh, 4. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. John wasn't the light. He's bearing witness to Jesus Christ as the light. The Word, Jesus Christ, was made manifest in the body of flesh that all men through him might what? Believe. Believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. You see that in just two verses. It's like witnesses mentioned three times. John was bearing witness of Jesus Christ. He made it very clear that he wasn't the light, but we want you to believe on the light. We want you to believe on the light. Go to John 3. Watch how this unfolds in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's what light does. That's what Jesus Christ does. He exposes us as evil. That's our deeds. And the light reproves we are pronounced, you and I, before we got saved, we are pronounced condemned and we are pronounced as evil. That's the pronouncement against us. Look at verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they were wrought in God. But the beautiful thing about this light that we're talking about, Jesus Christ now is the light of the world, is we have a pronouncement of condemnation before we got saved. And when you go and preach the gospel to somebody or you speak to them, you can't get away from that pronouncement of their condemnation. But what's the beautiful thing about salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ? He's delayed the sentencing. The sentencing. Lost people are condemned. It's been proclaimed. Well, they haven't been sentenced yet. <laughs> That's what. Look at verse number seventeen. Tells us, for God sent His Son. Into the, uh, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The sentence isn't coming down. 
There's time. Look, you're condemned. You just haven't been sentenced to death yet. A lost person says, am I condemned? Yes. But God hasn't sentenced you. He hasn't given you your sentence yet. What do I got to do? Believe the light. Well, God's angry and God's mean and God's this and God's that and God's condemning and God's hateful. Okay, and? Well, and what I'm trying... And He came down to save. That's what verse 17 says. Look, He came down here to save. You mentioned some character traits about God and they're right and they're true, except He's prolonged and delayed the sentencing. In other words... If you're wrong and you're bad and you're evil and you're a criminal, the judge should what? Speedily execute you. The judge should get, okay, let's get on this now and get this over with. But that's not God. He came and he said, you know what? I'm the light, yes. You're condemned, yes. But I am going to put off sentencing you. And just like John, bear witness to the light, what do we do? We bear witness. We bear witness to the light. Most crime is committed at night because people want to cover it up and they don't want to get, they have less of a chance of getting caught in the dark. And that's what Pharisees do, false religion. They try to cloak it in a system, in a false system. There is more of a chance of someone not getting caught that way if you cloak it in religion, a system of religion. And Jesus, that's not what he is about. He said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. Amen, amen, amen. amen. By the time we get to John 14, Jesus talks about sending a comforter because Jesus is not staying in the world. Are you going out to lunch with Jesus today? <laughs> well, yes and no. You're not taking the man Christ Jesus out to lunch, but you do have the Holy Spirit, that comforter that has been given you, and that's the spirit of truth. That's uh, John calls that the Holy Ghost. And that spirit of truth, we learn through the book of John, does what? Testifies of Him. What is our witness? The same as John's witness. We're not testifying of ourselves. We're testifying of Him. And Jesus departed. He said, look, I'm going to send you something. So just like John, we are to bear witness of Him. He left. He left us the Comforter. That's the light. That's the light. Nobody's looking to heaven for a light to come down. Now, if you'll go to John 16, we'll look at one more and then uh, get in your hand also 2 Corinthians 4. John chapter 16, get that, John 16, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay, John 16, verse number 8, Bible says, And when He is come, this is Jesus speaking, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Who's that? Verse 7. The Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
when you and I are witnessing to somebody, you have the comforter, the spirit of truth, and that spirit of truth, that Holy Ghost, will be the one that will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's why we want to get out of the way. Lord, use me as a vessel. We need to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to be in this. We need to yield, always be yielding that way. Now, 2 Corinthians, watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, here's the light. It's not going to be a light from heaven like Saul of Tarsus. It is not going to be a light from heaven like that nation will see. Matthew 24 gives it the uh, uh, lightning, that flash of lightning. It's, that's not the light. The light that we have right now that we need to have a distinction of is the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. Who did John bear witness to? The light. Right? Who do we have now within us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bear witness and reprove and all of that, right? When we go out and preach, we're going to preach some light. What is that light? The glorious gospel. What are we not going to preach? Ourselves. John wasn't preaching himself. John was trying to point everyone to Christ. We need to be careful when we go out and witness, we get out of the way, we don't preach ourselves. Don't look at my life. Don't look at my family. Look at Jesus Christ. Point them to the light of the glorious gospel and it is all about Jesus Christ. That's the light that we are shining and that we are preaching. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. The distinction in the light. It's not coming from heaven now. That was Saul individually. It will be for the nation on his second coming. Now, for us, there's a glorious gospel light that we need to shine. That's what we're shining. Minds are blinded. Everyone here can see. But the mind has been blinded. And so we shine that light. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, watch some of the phrases that Paul uses when he refers to his conversion individually. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And look at verse number 8. You all have read this many times. 1 Corinthians 15, 
verse number 8. Speaking of Paul, it says, And last of all, he was seen, Paul speaking of himself under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, he was seen of me also. And watch the reference here, as one born out of due time. It was a premature birth. That reference, when Paul makes of his conversion individually, he was born before the due date. It's a picture. Saul of Tarsus individually of that Jewish nation at Christ's second coming. He was premature. It was out of due time. And um, Matthew 23, go there. I want to look at it. Matthew 23, because there's a prophecy. He says he's born out of due time. Matthew 23. Look at verse number 38. Because there's a... That, well, let me just read the verse and make some comments. Matthew 23, look at the end of it, verse number 38. Behold, your house is desolate. He, he cries out, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, in verse 37. Behold, your house is left desolate unto you, for I say unto you, to the nation... Ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, that's all future, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. There is going to, there's going to come a time where that nation will be born in the day nationally, but that time hasn't come in, it hasn't come yet. Saul of Tarsus pictures that and he's making a personal application as soon as he starts Romans 11. Concerning Israel's future and the purpose of it, he's making a personal application. I am an Israelite. And when you start to study Saul of Tarsus and you see how that light from heaven is a picture of that light from heaven that's coming, and you see the premature birth and how Saul's individual conversion, how he phrases it, pictures what's coming. Psalm 18, 118 actually says the same verse. That's where that quote is, is from. If you go, to, go back to Matthew 21, look at this one. Matthew 21, look at verse 43. Matthew 21, 40, 43. Therefore shall I say unto you, I got that one right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Therefore shall I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. When we looked at Matthew 23, why does it say ye shall see? Because in Matthew 21, we see it was transferred. What other nations? Gentile nations. Now we are in the times of the Gentiles. It was transferred. Ye shall see, uh, till ye shall say. In Matthew 23 is all a future look. But the door of hope has not been closed for Israel. 
the remnant of national Israel will repent of its rejection of the Messiah. That will happen. That's why when we get toward the end of Romans 11, it says all Israel shall be saved. It's talking about a national conversion. We saw in 1 Timothy, go there, and another phrase that Paul uses. Go to 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1. Look at verse number 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them. See that? That pattern which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And we talked about that. We talked about how it wasn't a pattern for lost people to see the, that God is long-suffering. Now, God is long-suffering. It's not that I'm saying He's not, and it's not that Paul is saying that He's not. But Paul, as an individual saved man, his life is a pattern for others to see in him long Suffering, his life as a pattern. Our life as well. Unsaved people seeing that Paul was long-suffering in dealing with sinners. He says, in me first. Okay? In me first. You see that? Now you be like that. <laughs> and yes, in a way, he is showing that God is long-suffering. But it's a reference to his pattern as our example. And in Romans 10, he says, go back to Romans. In Romans chapter 10, at the very beginning of the chapter, he says, brethren, my heart's desire, Paul's pattern. You see my pattern? You see my heart of long suffering? He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So God uses Paul to show us. He's an individual Christian. He's saved like we're saved to show us. You see how Paul is long-suffering toward lost people? Yes, you do that. Nationally, you can see in verse number 10, chapter 10 of verse 1, we read that. What's my pattern? What's my heart desire for that nation? Now we should have both. We should have both following Paul's pattern and Paul rejects when he starts Romans 11 he rejects this idea the horror of God just completely casting out the nation that's not God's character national Israel is an elect nation and God has a future for that elect nation and their land 1 Peter 2 1 Peter 2 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. As people think that they teach that the church replaces Israel, that could not be... That's the farthest thing from the truth. The church and Israel are distinct entities. They always have been and they always will be. 1 Peter 2, verse number 9. Ye, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
and holy nation, a peculiar people, ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, where in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There is no way that the church could have replaced Israel because the church doesn't have any racial distinction whatsoever. But the nation of Israel, folks, does have a racial distinction. They were a people. The, na the other nations were not a people. God made a distinct he made a distinction in the races, in the nations. That's one reason why the church, another reason why the church can't replace Israel. There is a racial distinction for Israel. But for us, in his body, the church, there is no racial distinction. Matter of fact, the core of Judaism was to specifically their race was specifically chosen to be different than all of those other races. That was the core of Judaism. That's why they were told to do all of these things different. God said, your race is different. He has specifically elected that nation and he's called them to be different. Whereas the church is the body of Christ. And in Christ, we are elect in his body. And we now, as elect individuals, have a distinction from lost people. That's the distinction. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with lost or not lost. But Israel was a separate people. And he's going to restore to them the promises that he made to them. In chapter 11 shows as we go and unfold this, it will show that their present rejection right now is not complete and final. Let's finish in Romans 11. Romans 11. Last verse in chapter 10. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Look, they are his people, but right now that's what they are. But Paul says, look, verse number 1 of chapter 11, I also am an Israelite. I've been converted. I'm from that nation. And me as an individual, if I've been converted, don't you dare try to convince me that God's done with that nation. I would have never been saved. There's a picture in our individual witness. We're not trying to get Israel as a nation to be saved. God's going to take care of that and there's nothing you and I can do about it. But there could be, there could be an individual Jew that can come to Christ and be saved the same as you and I. The distinction right now for us is not Jew or Gentile.
the distinction is lost or unlost. He says, I am an Israelite. He's pure blood of the seed of Abraham. His blood's pure. His tribe, man, my vibe's my tribe. He's got his tribe of Benjamin. Paul is using his personal conversion as a picture. Had God cast away his people? You know why he says that? He's showing sympathy, compassion. And he wants us to do the same thing now. You see all the stuff happening with Israel? In the news? Don't think for a minute God's done with his people. Don't think for a minute. Paul points out Israel. They have not been cast away. He's an Israelite. He's a Christian. And if God turned His back on Israel, which He hasn't, Paul's saying, I would have never been saved.